Project. Welcome to the Sanity Game Studios Hickory General Podcast. I am Al, and we're joined today by Dawn. How are you, Dawn? I'm doing great. And we're going to continue the uh, the series I've been doing about the Outer Plains. Um, this time we're going to be taking a look at Olympus, and uh, brought Dawn in because she knows a lot more about Greek mythology than I do, so... Um, Hopefully she'll correct any errors that I might give when we, <laughs> when we talk about uh, the the pantheons and such here. So Olympus. So they listed as having three layers. Uh, the first one being Olympus itself. Second, Osa. And then the third one, Pelon, which we were trying to find out what the meaning of Osa and Pelon was before. Yeah, we talked about it a little bit before we started recording and, like, looking up, trying to figure out, like, where Osa and Pelon came from, other than Pelon being an interfacing company for sewers, but, yeah. and I I have no idea, that doesn't come from primary source material anywhere, so I'm thinking maybe that was something they made up to try to make it a little more um, player-friendly. Yeah, because some of the layers, and again, for those of you who've listened to the other Outer Plane episodes, like in um, the Nine Hells, mm-hmm. like the different layers there, usually the name comes from somewhere. And the only thing we really found here, well, Olympus, well, Mount Olympus, right. Greek mythology. So one of the things that you mentioned was primary sources. So just for those who out there who may not be familiar with what that term means, what is a primary source? A uh, primary source, specifically with Greek mythology, would be any of the ancient texts such as, um, like, the Dionysca by Nonus, um, the, well, I know Ovid is Roman, but the Metamorphosis, uh, any, uh, the, um, the Iliad, any of the original texts that come out that speak about the, the um, ancient times and speak about the mythology, and none of them mention any of that. I know we did have a theory that possibly Pelin was supposed to be Mount Pelion, maybe, yeah. <laughs> but we weren't sure. Yeah, and maybe Osa just sounded like some Greek word that, or a Greek-sounding word that uh, when Jeff Grubb wrote the book, he decided, yeah, we'll take this layer and we'll make it uh, ocean level. And That's w- actually possible, considering it could, it, I don't, I'm not real good on my different versions of ancient Greek, because it, it shifted so much, because there's, you know, Attica Greek, um, the, the Greek the Greek language varied so much over the years it could be based on some Greek word and then modernized to sound cool, so who knows? Yeah, because, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that probably modern Greek is not the same as ancient Greek. They can still understand it, though. Okay. It's one of the few languages where um, modern Greek speakers can still generally re- read and or understand it certain types of um, ancient Greek. It's close enough, but not exact. Okay. And Jeff, uh, when he wrote the, Jeff Grubb, when he wrote the forward to Manual of the Plains, did admit right off the bat that pretty much if he couldn't find anything that would really work or that, you know, could fill in any blanks, he made it up. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) it might not be the most... um, might not be the most exciting explanation, but that he probably just made it up. You get artistic license. That's just how it works. <laughs> just like whenever you're game mastering. You know, exactly. It's like, yeah, because uh, there was this meme on one of the D&D groups I'm on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw it or not, but there's a guy sitting on a throne. It's like, doing my D&D homework. 
I'll just wing it. I think I shared that, actually, for my gaming group. <laughs> yeah, and I, I shared that for my current group that I'm gaming with. I'm like, okay, in case any of you want to know what I'm usually like five minutes before the game starts, this is it. So, well, back to the subject of uh, Olympus. So the first layer of Olympus, and this is where they put two pantheons, the Greek pantheon and the Elvish pantheon. We're going to be focusing on the Greek stuff, because uh, just for this series, I've been focusing mostly on stuff that has like historical or real-world mythology behind it. And as far as I know, I mean, I don't think any of the elven gods are really based on any real-world uh, religions. But you, when we were talking before we started recording, you did say that it doesn't; it's not necessarily out of place right. to put the elven pantheon on olympus so why don't you go into that right because technically speaking in any society that elves regardless of whether they're elves or anything are technically like a nature spirit type race and in the greek society that would have been the nymphs which are the nature spirits whether they're naiads dryads okanids whatever you know tree nymphs tree whatever and they would have had a place in the society as being semi-immortal or immortal beings so to place them into you know, of it, their own kind of realm with with the divine makes complete sense in this particular setup. So it doesn't surprise me at all that he would have done this. Yeah, and, and that made sense the way you explained it. That you know, we don't when we don't have to necessarily think of them as representing elves as we know from fantasy, mm -hmm. you know, like Tolkien or D and D, but just generic nature spirits, right? And, um, also, the another reason I think that they probably put them there is Olympus is described as being the plane of good tending towards chaos. Mm -hmm. um, so this is a, one of the planes of chaotic good spirits. And That is a very good way to put it. Yes, because normally our chaotic good, and I don't know what your interpretation of this is, but if you look at deities and demigods or legends and lore or any of the materials where they do discuss real-world pantheons and how to use it in D&D, &D. Mm -hmm. most of the, Olymp the uh, Olympians or the Greek gods are chaotic, good, and alignment. Yes, some of them will be more chaotic, neutral, and self-serving, but yes. Yeah, and I think like, <laughs> True chaotic, neutral, very self-serving. <laughs> yeah, and um, what was, because uh, mm -hmm. Artemis, I think they, or not Artemis, Athena, mm -hmm. um, they have her being listed as being uh, lawful good. Yeah. And then um, the uh, Mars they put as chaotic evil. Well, yeah, I guess it depends upon your interpretation of the deity, too. I mean, that's where it gets a little fuzzy. Like, I don't know. Aries would be chaotic neutral, in my opinion, but that's also because I've done a lot of study on Aries, and I know his motivations are for himself yes. and nobody else. I wouldn't call that evil, it's just he serves himself, and that's it. He doesn't care. <laughs> yeah, and I think they also put Poseidon as being chaotic evil as well. Uh, as I said, it's been a while since Yeah, I he's pretty so self-serving, but yeah, I mean, you gotta look at, it, that depends if you're, as a DM, I would have put him as more chaotic you know, chaotic neutral. Yeah, so I'm just just grab my Eris. Uh, I would put more on an evil alignment. Eris, I would, because she's far more destructive um, than 
been self-serving. Yeah. Right now I'm looking at the first edition de- deities and demigods. I've never and, seen that book. I don't, yeah, have much, I don't have much first edition stuff. Yeah, it's the one <laughs> with like the psychedelic uh, cover where there's a... Some uh, some sort of godlike figure grabbing a green dragon by the throat, and this is the one where, um, before it became legends and lore, mm-hmm. and I think one of the reasons they changed it is because when the whole satanic panic was sweeping the nation, and yeah. they were trying to cleanse any any references to demons and devils and such in their their products. Uh, but this is the one where they have the Cthulhu mythos as well as the Nuhan. No, not Nuhan. Um, well, it does have the Nuhan mythos, but uh, uh, the name is escaping me now. The Eldritch stuff. The good old Cthulhu mythos. Yep. Just be pray to be eaten first. Yes, exactly. Because <laughs> um, at this time, uh, the... Uh, Another company, Chaosium, they had the rights to use the... It's got Finnish mythos in there? God, that's really comprehensive. I want to look at that when we're done. (laughs) Yeah, it it has most of your major stuff. You know, your Greek, your Norse. Finnish is not major. Finnish is obscure. (laughs) See, because, yeah, Zeus they have as being chaotic good. No, 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 no. But okay. okay. I... That's, but Zeus is a rapist, and among (laughs) other things, he's not chaotic good. I would say lawful... Because he does represent justice, but he's also pretty self-serving, so that's kind of, and as a rapist and an abductor, and it gets really like a gray area. Yeah, because when I used to work at a planetarium, whenever I told any Greek stories involving Zeus for younger kids... Yeah, you gotta be careful. Zeus is not a family-friendly deity. He's like, he's one you gotta watch your kids around, like, is my, am I gonna come home with my kids still in tow? Like, or is, is that gonna, my son gonna become the new cupbearer? And I'm saying that with quotes in the air. (laughs) See, Aphrodite, (laughs) they have her listed as chaotic good. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Apollo, chaotic good. That's a little more accurate. Yep. Um, Aries, chaotic evil. Artemis, true neutral. Which, I guess I can kind of see that as a goddess of the hunt, where... Um, yeah, because she kind of doesn't... She doesn't really care. Yeah. Unless you're trying to date her brother, then you're probably going to die. <laughs> but that's really about it. Yeah, or there was that... I remember there was that legend of the guy who... Uh, wasn't it that he... Some hunter thought that... Yes. He, he caught a glimpse of uh, Artemis yes. and her attendants, and they turned him into a doe. That was... Not a doe, a buck. Yes. And chased after him. Yes, until that was him. the grandson of Harmonia and Cadmus. Okay, so Athena, the future king of Thebes, he got yeah. torn apart by his own dogs. Yeah, Athena, lawful good. I'm trying to look at some of the other gods because they have some of the heroes in here as well. Uh, Siege, uh, Demeter. Oh, Dem- Demeter. Yeah, uh, neutral good. Dionysus, chaotic neutral. Yeah, that I think. Dionysus. Dionysus. Dionysus is very chaotic, very chaotic neutral. Yeah, because I mean, well, he's the god of wine, Dio. so. And and ecstatic party, ecstatic like everything. Hades, they put him in neutral evil. Which nah, I don't know. If he's I'd got really... a bad shake. Poor yeah, guy. We'll probably talk more about Hades uh, eventually when we do the episode, because they do talk about Hades in Manual of the Plains, and they connect it to uh, Niflheim, because they place Hades and Hell as being kind of a similar persona. Where's Hecate? Where's, where's her? Where's that on she here? She is lawful evil. Uh, I guess. I don't know. She's used to do... She, they used to use her. 
um, which the listeners might find interesting, um, to pass curses down through the family. Um, I know people try to do the triple goddess thing on her, but that's actually not accurate. But if you wanted to curse somebody's family, you would not allow, when you did the coin, um, for oh, the coin in the mouth, coin, yeah. the coin for Karen, you would take um, like a parchment or something, and you would hide it, and that was to give Hakate to basically curse that person's family or whoever you wanted to pass a curse to, and that was how Hakate was given the magic to curse somebody, because you cursed generations in Greek mythology. You yeah. did not just curse one person, you cursed their entire family for generations to come. Yeah, and that's how you passed it into the underworld. You're going to curse someone, might as well go all the way, right? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, because I remember your, the, it's one of the things I remember when reading Greek mythology in school is that uh, Sharon, is that how it's pronounced? Karen. Karen, mm-hmm. uh, the boatman of the River Styx, where you'd have to pay a coin to cross, so you would put a coin underneath the tongue of the deceased so they would have something to pay him with. And I'm not entirely sure it was Styx, because the first river in the underworld is actually Acheron, even though some people get it very wrong, but which is... Um, a totally different. Acheron is the first river, and then Styx. Even though Styx winds the underworld like nine times, but okay. Then we have Hephaestus, which they put him as being true neutral. Which I don't know. He didn't seem like a very. At least what little he's knowledge. Vengeful. Okay. He's vengeful. Yeah, I mean, I like how they because we both of us have watched the Justice League and Justice mm-hmm. League Unlimited, and they have an episode in there where. What was it? Uh, Wonder Woman was talking with uh, Hephaestus about, you know, how to stop this suit of armor he made. That was called, uh, what they call it, the Destroyer or something like yeah. that. Yeah. But um, this suit of uh, armor, it wasn't really sentient, but it responded to hate and violent thoughts. And they were able to figure out that the way to stop it is not to give it, not to feed it, not to be angry mm-hmm. about it. And I remember when Wonder Woman was trying to get this secret out of Hephaestus, he like, Now, Diana, you wouldn't like it if I told anyone this secret weakness for your armor, which, I don't know, does they ever really say in comics if her armor does have a weakness? No, or? I don't think they did. But, but then again, mm-hmm. how many times they rebooted the DC Universe? Right. So. <laughs> uh, let's see, then Hera, true neutral. No. Okay, what would you put Hera as? <laughs> I would definitely not put her as true neutral. I would put her... Oh, I don't know. It's more like... The thing is, she's kind of like Zeus where she's on the lawful side, but it's that second part of it that's a little... <sighs> Gray area. Yeah, or... because she had no problem seeing people die left and right to suit her own needs. So... Yeah, and I remember some of the legends from... Uh, Greek mythology, usually when Hera involved, she is vindicative. Like, the story about the the version I heard about the big and the little bears, that um, you know, the story I heard and what I was told at the planetarium is that uh, Zeus had a son with a woman, Callisto. Callisto, And the son was Arcus. Mm -hmm. And uh, one day, Hera, after she found out about them, turned them into bears and had some hunters go after them and so Zeus dragged them by the tails up into the sky and put them as constellations but then Hera said it so that they could never go underneath the horizon to rest and that would explain why we always see the bears every 
um, you know, all year. Well, I mean, and then look at her, the whole thing with the birth of Dionysus, first of all, is not only did she convince Semele, which is the, the daughter of her own granddaughter, for Lord's sake, um, to demand Zeus show himself in his true glory, which is what caused Semele to burn to death, and is then, because Dionysus did not die in the womb and was then born out of Zeus's thigh, she then decided, you know what, this is the, the kid didn't die, so now I'm going to drive him insane. So it's like, and then she basically kept taunting, like basically haunting that kid through his life. So Dionysus is completely crazy, completely crazy, because she can't let it go. So that's why, like, true neutral, true neutral, my rear end. <laughs> it's like, but at the same time, I have to forgive this book. Uh, some of inaccuracies given when it was written, it doesn't have. There's no access to the, the material that we have now yeah, cause as was, readily. Yeah, because this was late 70s, and um, I wonder if when they were writing the book, uh, did Garrett Gygax write this? Uh, let me just check here. Because one of the, no, James Ward and Robert Kuntz, because um, the, uh, one of the books that a lot of people go to when they're looking for information about mythology is usually going to be Edith Hamilton's Ugh. book, Mythology, which... Yeah, okay, not a fan. Head, so. Not a fan. I think I usually send people to Graves at this point, which isn't a whole lot better, but if you're not going to go to like a good source online, I'm like, go to Robert Graves. But um, I like for Greek, I always send people to Theoi.org. Yeah, and, and as you said, it, usually it's best if you can get um, the the primary sources, but I'm sure, of course, you have to watch out for the translation because, uh, I mean, I've even noticed this when reading different translations of the Norse material, the Poetic Edda, mm -hmm. where sometimes the translator will, you know, the two paragraphs, if you take, like, one translation, look at it with another, it's, you can kind of get the same idea, but it doesn't always come off as right. Uh, an example I can think of off the top of my head, one of the poems is called Havamo, yep. Saints of the High One. And there's a section in there where Odin is talking about the different runes, and he was talking about one rune that was associated with healing. And in one translation it said that, um, I know, actually I got my poetic edda right over here. Of course so, you do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let me uh, just grab, just see if I can find it quickly. So... Okay, here it is. Um, verse uh, 147, I know a second one, which the sons of men need, those who want to live as physicians. And, okay, you can think, okay, a physician, a doctor, talking about a room for healing. Whereas one translation I saw, it said instead, for those who want to live as leeches. And, you know, leech, L-E-E-C-H, you know, the little bloodsucker. And that might seem kind of a strange translation, but remember, leeches... Were used to bleed out wounds and things, yeah. yeah. And I believe in some case, some places for some types of injuries, they still do use leeches. Mm -hmm. I think in a situation like where if they have to reattach like a hand or a finger that was severed, um, they put like a leech. They have it where it like gets because don't they have mouths on both ends or just well, it depends. I think they well, I know that they do it like. Um, in some parts of the world and stuff, especially when, like, the under-the-skin bleeding is so bad, like the bruising, um, they I think they do it in a lot of those areas, especially to prevent, like, gangrene and yeah, stuff. It was something, like, with how they applied the leech, it helped improve circulation, mm -hmm. which reduced the chances of the, the reattached limb going 
gangrenous. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's just one of those little interesting points where, yeah, depending on the translation, it might not make sense at first unless you think about it. That's just one I remember off the top of my head. But I know, like, Theoi, the Theoi Project, they, which is, if anybody cares, it's T-H-E-O-I, um, which stands for God, which is God in Greek, gods. But they list the section, where they got it from, and then what translation it is, so that you know where they got this from and what the, what, you know, so if you want to source it yourself or look it up or look up different translations. So it's really helpful that way, so you know exactly what information you're getting. Yeah, and Hercules, even though he's just a demigod, they place him at chaotic neutral, which... Uh, you know I what? Actually, he... I agree with that, considering he uh, did a lot of damage in mythology oh, as yeah. well as good, so... Yeah, while he was a straight hero, he was also unpredictable, and uh, I don't know how much were he... Did you ever watch a lot of Hercules' The Legendary Journeys? I love that show. It doesn't hold up, though, but... Yeah. Well, because <laughs> I know there's... Because I enjoyed what... I mean, I didn't watch it religiously... But I enjoyed it overall, and I, I can understand how they took some liberties with how they pictured Hercules They had to sugarcoat it to make it TV-friendly, though. Yeah. <laughs> and I did like the look that they had Kevin Sorbo bring to the character, because, mm-hmm. you know, usually we're picturing him as this big guy with, like, a beard and the lion skin, and, you know, he was just clean-shaven, long hair. But overall, I said I, I liked it. Didn't really see much of the spin-off Xena. Um, so I don't know if you were... Xena was really good until, like, the last two seasons, and then I didn't like it anymore. Okay. Um, is Xena based on a character from Greek mythology no. that you... Okay, so... It's, it's, a spin- it's a spin-off of Hercules. Okay. So Hermes, true neutral. Yep. Actually, he'd be more good. Okay. More good. He was considered, um, if, when you read the primary sources, he was never known to do really intentional bad to man. He was actually more of a friend to man than not. So... Yeah. And... Because uh, the I remember they say that the uh, in the second edition Legends and Lore, and you might find this story kind of funny. Um, one of my the groups, one of the the players in one of my groups decided he wanted to be a cleric of Hermes, and he chose chaotic neutral as his alignment. And it's like whenever you wanted to have him cast a beneficial spell on you, you had to pay him first. And that works. Because <laughs> you, yeah, because Hermes was a god of thieves. Yeah. And um, so that actually, <laughs> that kind of stuff. I just think where you said chaotic control, like, actually, yeah, because with being a god of thieves and things like that, it would it makes complete sense. And he always said he was collecting funds to build a temple. Yeah, so. Okay, I suppose that'll work, yeah, but. He was a trickster. Yeah. It works. See, Nike, is that how this pronounced? Nike, yes. or is it? Okay, like, uh, they have her as lawful neutral. Mm-hmm. So. Giannis of Victory. I guess I could see that. Because Daughter of Sticks. I guess I could see a, a goddess of that brings victory as being lawful neutral because it is there is that somewhat that aspect of bringing order, but you're you're not always going to choose sides between good and evil. Where you know maybe you've got a battle where it would be better for the side of evil to win. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's see who else we got. Um, Pan, chaotic neutral. Yep. That yeah. works. Yeah, I can definitely see him that. Uh, Corsairs being very, I believe they're very lustful. They were meant to represent the primal sexual nature of mankind. That was the whole representation of satyrs. That that because the moderation that was the main tenet. That was the, if you look at any of the tenets of myth of Greek religion, ancient Greek religion, moderation 
was the main tenant. It was everything in moderation, everything, drinking, you know, everything. So that primal part, the whole, like, half goat, represented the primal urges and the primal part, which is that whole sexual nature, which is why yeah. satyrs were always represented yeah, in aroused forms. And, yeah. Okay, so then... Poseidon. Uh, oh, actually, they have him as chaotic neutral. I that makes that makes evil, sense. So. Actually, that makes sense. Yeah, and he's I could, pretty self-serving. <laughs> and I could also see if you're just thinking about how the ancient mind would have looked at it. You know, the sea. You know, you can't it, control the sea. Yep, you can't control it. You can't. Oh, well, just look at the Odyssey. Look at the, the this tiniest slight that Odysseus made, and Poseidon sent him on a ten-year journey home. To his island. Ten years for the tiniest little slight. I mean, and it was, what, whirlpools and storms yep. and waves, and it was just, yeah. <laughs> I've seen, I've seen, I don't know if I remember if I've seen all of it or not, but the movie, um, they did make a movie based on the Jason and the Golden Fleet. No, that's different, not Odyssey, yeah. Because I did see the Argonauts. You saw the Jason called. and the Argonauts that, yeah. That, yeah. Because didn't Hera, I believe Hera um, was uh, kind of like Jason's patron in that one? She um, may have been, but I know that um, Athena, I think, was quite fond of Jason as well. Jason was quite popular with a lot of the deities, actually. <laughs> yeah, and see, do they even mention him in here? Because, uh, as I said, they do have a... Oh, they do mention him. They have, as a, they have Jason as a neutral good ranger slash thief slash bard. Yeah, that works. Okay. But, yeah, because... Um, I, I seem to remember there was a, a scene where after the Argo was destroyed, um, the um, Hera, because she had been giving you know little hints and words of advice to Jason, and they had the head of the the ship come alive, mm -hmm. to, you know, to tell Jason whatever he needed. And uh, this is a little off topic, but still a little related. I'm sure you've seen the original Clash of the Titans. Oh, that's so good. The new one's terrible. The old one's so good. <laughs> yeah, the, and, you know, that's what I hate is, like, people are like, oh, how can you watch the old one? Those special effects are so cheesy, but it's like, okay, when was that movie made? Like, um, Bubo. It had Bubo. The new one doesn't have Bubo. Well, it's got, like, a tribute to Bubo, but it doesn't have Bubo. Yeah, the little mechanical owl. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, because, um, I mean, I said it, yes, the special effects look cheesy by today's standards, but back then that stuff was... Ahead of its time. Yeah. And, I mean, I always, I always liked it how... I always wondered about this when I was a kid, because, of course, quite a bit younger when I saw it, because they had, like, the... Whenever they were on Mount Olympus, they would have this shelf in the back that had all these little clay figures of the people. Mm -hmm. So I always wondered, it's like, is, is God up there with, like, little miniatures of people and making them move around and do things? Cause That's what I always thought when I was a kid. I was like, we're just like a giant chess game. Yes. Is that what we are? The chessmen of the gods? I got in a lot of trouble in Catholic school for that. <laughs> See, then the, uh, then they had Taiki. Is that how it's pronounced? Taiki. Taiki. Taiki goddess of good fortune. They have her as neutral. Yep. Because fortune is neutral. Fortune, de fortune does not care what your opinion on it is. It's gonna go one way or the other, depending upon what, with, with regards to what you think of it. Yeah. So, but yeah, like I said, that's that's pretty much how they pictured them in those. And uh, so again, as as you were saying, not don't necessarily agree with some of the alignments um, that they, you know, they gave them. And I, I suppose part of the problem is just when you are trying to shoehorn. Uh, ancient gods and the D&D &D alignments, 
yeah, it's not always going to be easy. And um, Well, and you might have to adjust. Like, if you're doing a campaign or something, like, I have full intention. I know we've had this conversation. Um, is I am planning sometime after Dragon Con um, of running a, um ancient Greek campaign. Um, I've got most of it put together. I had to figure out, like, what classes and stuff I'm going to allow, um, you know, if I'm going to allow any races other than human, things like that. And, you know, putting together is like, okay, well, what's, what alignment as far as, you know, the deities go and stuff. You might have to make adjustments based on your personal, you know, research or opinions on things. That's just the way that it's going to work out because, especially when you're looking at material like first edition that's as yeah. old as it is, things have changed since the 70s. <laughs> yeah, and second edition, I, I know I've I'll have to let you uh, borrow the book sometime, but they did have the Age of Heroes. I know, because I asked you about that, if they made yeah. anything, because most of my players are playing 3.5, and I'm like, did they make anything for 3.5, or do I got to make adjustments? <laughs> yeah, because I'm, sure I'm, I'm sure that there was a, a Legends and Lore book um, for 3rd edition. I didn't find so, one. And I'm sure if you look, there's probably some third-party company out there that oh, used the OGL uh, that, to make a, you know, a Greek themed book and i mean i can see how they can they would they would do that or why there'd be an interest because you look at some of the iconic monsters of D, like minotaurs yep harpy medusa pegasus so many there's so many and there's just and doing historical campaigns is so much fun because while a lot of people like the dungeon crawls sometimes they want to shake it up a little bit so even if it's something that only lasts like um like if you play like we play every other week when we play but if it's something that only lasts like a couple months it's just nice to shake you know, shake it up once in a while. Yeah, and there is also that one of the things I can think some people would be kind of turned off mm-hmm. is because there's going to be the historical limitations, and like obviously in ancient Greece, you're not going to have someone tromping around with a two-handed sword and wearing plate mail. It didn't exist back then. Well, no, and you're not going to have women as rangers, and you're not going to... Actually, I think they do in... Uh... They might in there, but in my historical campaign, I know that they wouldn't unless they, they, they just wouldn't, because I know exactly how women were treated in ancient Greece. Yeah, because I, I think, just grabbing my got my shelf just to my left here that has the, the, the stuff, because I think they do mention if you are going to allow rangers, um, they you could allow female rangers as being like uh followers of artemis i may have to borrow that just to take a look at what their rationale is um because i know that there are certain things i was looking at like you know certain like warriors you know obviously all have to be male you can't have you can't have female warriors coming from um because they would have been beaten to death that's just the sad reality of ancient greece sorry Uh, (laughs) yeah um yeah, and, and I, I understand what you're saying. I mean, obviously they're saying that you're going to have to take liberties. But clerics, <laughs> female clerics are welcome because they'd be priests, priestesses. So they would have been welcome. Um, so if they want to come along as clerics or things, that's fine. Um, you know, so it's kind of like I have to adjust the character classes a little bit. And most of the people that I play with are actually pretty understanding and pretty down with this. So um, they're they're using the limitations is, is actually is going to help them be creative because they found... Um, having so much stuff open to them, having the whole gamut, yeah, because was actually more, I think, um, intimidating than having limitations to work with. And I agree, actually, being a newer player, I think the first time I played um, it, years and years ago, going, I have all these options, I have no idea what to play. I have no idea. 
So I think it's actually going to help a little bit. So Yeah, because they actually have a, a paragraph here about female characters. They're saying that in a purely historical campaign, there is little room for female characters mm -hmm. either. Greek women, or at least of the higher classes, were mostly expected to stay at home and yep. oversee the household, rarely allowed outside, had no voice in government. Sticklers for realism could include women as bards or priests, since flute girls and other entertainers abounded, uh, and the Oracle of Delphi was female. Uh, those not concerned with absolute accuracy could follow the Minoan pattern and allow female characters the freedom to choose any class. Yeah, I thought I read something, maybe it wasn't in this book, but it was somewhere else, where they did say, you know, female, uh, a female ranger could easily be like a follower of, of Artemis. Well, and if, if they really want to be like of a warrior class or something, they can be, um, say, somebody that came in from Mesopotamia, because Sumerian women did lead armies. Um, one of the, there was that the second 300 movie, uh, the Greek woman that led that army. I'm trying to remember her name right now, in the Persian Wars, because she actually left Greece and went and became a, a general in one of the Persian armies. That is actually historically accurate, because in Persia, um, women were generals and things in the army all the time, because that was not a restriction in Persia and anywhere in Mesopotamia. Women frequently owned businesses. They were in charge and all that. That was not a limitation in Persia or anywhere in Mesopotamia. So Sumeria, Babylon, all of that. So they wanted to play one of my one of my girls world or players really wants to be like, look, I really want to fight as a woman. I want to be a warrior. Fine. Do you have a problem playing a Persian woman then? Because if you want to play a Persian woman that happens to meet up with this party, then I am totally on board with that because that'll be historically accurate. And you can use crazy single-bladed swords. <laughs> yeah. And they did actually, in there, they do also mention the Amazon kit because the Complete Fighter's Handbook did have uh, mm -hmm. You know, the Amazon kit. Yeah. Oh, though, I didn't even think about the Amazons. Yeah, there's the Amazon group, too. So um, they, they stress that it doesn't, if you're using it in a campaign where there's not, like, a Greek culture, it could just be a, a character from a female warrior society. Yeah. And, I mean, really, most of their limit, most of their benefits are more role-playing. Mm -hmm. um, the only real benefit they get is that if they're fighting someone from a culture where female warriors aren't common, they get up like a plus three bonus to their first attack and damage roll because the person's guard is down. Mm -hmm. Though it only works up to people of like a certain level or lower because a higher level warrior might say, okay, maybe I don't see women fighters very often, but the way this woman is, you know, carrying herself, she knows how to fight, so it's only going to work on certain people. Right. But still, they do have that option in there where you could be like a you know an Amazon ranger or, or fighter. So, and I one of these days we'll probably have to do an entire episode just on historical gaming for Greece. Yeah. Because um, I mean I know they did make the book, but that is one of those cultures I do want to. It's on my list of things I want to do. Um, so back to, wow, we did get a little, well, kind of off topic, but still on topic. Let's get off topic? Are you kidding? <laughs> yes, never. <laughs> so, the th so again, going back to the uh, Olympus, so as we said, it's described as being convex. Mm -hmm. um, now, in your studies of Greek mythology, do they ever really give much of a description of what Mount Olympus was believed to be like? Other than really just being... <laughs> 
gorgeous beyond belief. Not a whole lot. I mean, you're, it's expected to be full of pal- these gorgeous palaces and rolling hills of nothing but beauty. Not usually a whole lot in detail. I mean, you expect things to be related to what the deity is related to, but that's usually about as detailed as it gets. Because and of course, they didn't... there's a shelf in the background that has little clay figures of right. everyone. In the main palace, of course. Of course, yes. Of course. But, I mean, that's about as detailed as it seems to get. I even went and did some extra, some, some looking, um, some, some searching into it um, before I came down today to kind of see, just make sure I didn't miss anything. And I didn't find a whole lot of detail, so. Yeah, and the, because I remember back when I was in elementary school, there was a book on Greek mythology that I used to like checking out all mm-hmm. the time. And it described something, there was like a a main rumor where there was a hearth and, what was it, Vesta? Or Hestia. Hestia. Vesta. Vesta's her, her Roman name. Okay. So you're not wrong, it's just the Roman name. Because yeah. <laughs> I remember there, you know, there, was some, there was implied that there was some sort of like hearth that yep. the gods would probably meet around and she was the tender of it. Um, so again, they describe it as Zeus living in a citadel made of marble and gold with his wife Hera. Uh, Ares living in a citadel made of bone. Um, Athena living in one made of iron and I think they said they were there on opposite ends because in the D&D books, they often say that Artemis, not Artemis, sorry, Athena and Ares were at odds with each other. Yeah, probably. I mean, because she's more, Ares represents more um, of the... Bloodthirsty war? (laughs) Yes and no. He is more of the action and she is more of the strategy. Okay. <laughs> if you want to think of it, like, yes, he has his Enuleus aspect, which is tradition, which is the bloodthirsty aspect of war. He has the Enuleus aspect, but he's more of the the action. Like, I don't want to think it through. I just want to do it. Like, why are we sitting here and doing strategy when we can just go? Run in with all guns blazing. Right. He doesn't do the forethought before battle. He just wants to do it. He's. He's the bro. He's your CrossFit bro. He's the, <laughs> I hate to put it that way, but and I love Aries. Please don't get me wrong. Aries is the god I've probably done the most research on my entire life. Like I, he's he's my god. You know, I'm I'm, fist, I'm giving myself you know fist bumps for it. But that's really where it is. It's like if, if something needs to be done, he's just going into it. He is he's if you're gonna if you're gonna Harry Potter house this, he's the Gryffindor bull blazing right into it not thinking about it just going no we're just doing this like let's just go we're gonna get this we're gonna get the snitch and just be done and it's over with whereas athena is the ravenclaw going what is wrong with you we need to plan this out make a map and just figure it out which is why they don't they don't get on because i mean isn't it what's the one with the trojan war that's the iliad right um, I think so. Well, yeah, because the Odyssey takes place after the Trojan yeah. War. Because I, I thought I remember when, this was years ago, so I might be wrong on this, but I remember when we did, uh, I took a class on classical and med- medieval literature, we read the Iliad in there. And I thought there was some, there was one part where, like, Athena and Mars did have a conflict with each other, mm-hmm. Um, where wasn't it that, Athena was on the side of the Greeks, and the Ares was on the side of the Ares changed, Ares changed sides a couple times. Okay. Um, and Aphrodite actually fought in the Trojan War alongside Ares for yes, a while. I until I believe Athena had a fit. I think it was Athena that had a fit, went to Zeus, and then he made Aphrodite pull out of the war. And I 
<laughs> which is kind of funny. Like, stop fighting. <laughs> you need to go away now. Because I remember there was something, I forgot which character was, he was just doing this berserker rage and stabbed uh, Aphrodite with his spear. Um, I th- I think it was, like I said, it's been a couple decades since I've read that book, so I'm probably wrong on that. She's actually really vicious. People don't give her enough credit. She, in Sparta, Aphrodite was known as the destroyer of men. <laughs> that was her, her, her um, epithet, the destroyer of men. And speaking of Aphrodite, um, nice segue here. Uh, they picture her as living in a palace made of gems and quartz, which I guess I can see because since we have in popular culture, or thanks to popular culture and you know mythological interpretations, a lot of people like to see Aphrodite as this goddess of love and beauty. They probably aren't aware of that vicious side that you're. Well, people don't. About. People like to think of love in the modern connotation of love and. But to, again, with the moderation of the Greeks, love was actually not considered a good thing because you didn't marry for love in ancient Greece. You married for what was best for the family and financially. So you generally got married off because of the best dowry. Your father, your, I'm sorry, to use the Roman name, your paterfamilias, so the highest male in the family, decided who the girl was getting married off to. And it was whatever was best for the family. You had no choice whatsoever. And love, was what ruined families because it, it just it was bad. It destroyed things. If you look look through mythological stories, anytime there was emotions of the heart involved, things went very wrong. Because <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I just remember from history class, yeah, there were ancient cultures where marriages were more of a business transaction. Mm-hmm. And it's like if, if you've seen, what movie is it? Spaceballs. Yeah. I'm trying to conduct a marriage which has nothing to do with love. Yeah. So they had that view of it. Women were currency. And I know people try to romanticize ancient Greece, but it's, it's, it's the truth of the matter isn't. Don't, I mean, I, I love Greece. I love everything about mythology, but I will not ignore the fact that girls were currency and Aphrodite was not viewed the way we view her. Yes, they thought that she was the beauty aspect and everything, but the love aspect was feared because it was not the the romance part of it was not there. It was it was seen as something to be feared, which is why Eros the which represents the that's where we get the word erotic from, the the his little arrows were used maliciously she commanded him to make people fall in love to destroy things she destroyed <laughs> families when they made her angry okay <laughs> so then poseidon they just mention him living in an undersea palace yep. which yeah makes sense uh dionysus living in a vine-filled palace I'm pretty sure Dionysus just lived in, like, whatever he fell asleep under in the woods, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> and then Hermes, uh, his realm being a den of gambling, so yeah. I don't know I what that means, that. that he live in, like... A brothel uh, or not? A, a brothel. Casino. I'm thinking, did he live in Vegas? I don't understand. Like. <laughs> so, then we go on the second layer, Osa, which they describe as being a large, shallow sea, which... In most of it is only about three feet deep, so I'm not. Is that sh- like a sea at that point, or is no, that just they, like a flooded neighborhood? Flooded neighborhood. <laughs> so they do say there's some deep chasms, so that's probably where we would find a lot of the gods that were worshipped by the sea elves. Um, and again, as we said, we couldn't really figure out where that came from. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Pelon. This one I thought was interesting because they described it as being a layer covered by white sand and snow. 
and that there were there was this rumor that the that the Olympians they may have uh, not been the original inhabitants of this realm, that there may have actually been a civilization that existed there beforehand, which I don't think they're implying to be the Titans, which would fit in Greek mythology because uh, you know as we were mentioning before. You know, a lot of people, there's the war of the, uh, just a second, we're just going to kick my dog out of the room here. Are you going to shut up? Well, something startled her. Yeah, she's going to shut up now. Okay, good. Shut <laughs> up. Like, like, nobody moved. What's the yep. matter? <laughs> so, but yeah, the, because that's one of the more well-known uh, stories from Greek mythology, the Olympians versus the Titans. Right. Which, you know, is a very common mythological motif, the you know, the older generation of gods fighting the younger generation of gods. Um, so I don't think they were implying that it was supposed to be the Titans, but they just, they kind of keep it vague, which I think makes a lot of good potential for adventuring mm -hmm. or campaigning there. Uh, Cause they do mention that if there are any, um, you know, that there are treasures there, such so they're hidden below the sands. So, and they, <laughs> Do place one Egyptian goddess here, uh, Nephthys. Yeah, I don't know what the Nephthys is an interesting choice. Yeah, and you were mentioning because we do know that the Greeks and the Egyptians did have contact. Yes, quite a bit actually, because um, most of what we know of is the Egyptian gods, and even the name Egypt itself are actually Greek words, because um, it was Kemet is the Coptic name for it, because that's the and then there's all the, like, uh, I'm poorly pronouncing the Egyptian names. Mispronunciation disclaimer. Well, uh, we don't know how they're pronounced, at least as far as I know, because we're basing it off of hieroglyphs. And I'm basing my pronunciations off of what I think Teresa had given me ages ago. So, sorry. Of ours. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, Nephthys, I believe, was Nebuchadnezzar or something like that is her Egyptian name. But when the Greeks, you got to remember, the Greeks came over and did a lot of trading in Egypt once they took their stuff down there. And then they renamed everything and claimed it as, as Greek. Okay. They Hellenized it. That's that's the, the making it Greek, Hellenized, Hellenization. And so, like, what we know as Isis was, like, Aset or Asi. And then, then Set was actually uh, uh, Seteca or something like that. So they actually had different names when it was Kemet versus Egypt as we know it now. So for them to have, and then they were worshipped, like Isis was worshipped in Greece. So like for them to be in, like included in, like I think Isis was worshipped all the way up into to Ireland too. But uh, it makes sense. But if it was just for just Nephthys is an interesting choice for it to just be Nephthys that they they include in that because she's yeah, she doesn't really seem like the kind of <laughs> goddess that would run with the Greeks. No. Um, they... Unless she was running away from her husband. I don't know. Yeah. It's like, I'm ditching you for Greece. <laughs> I don't know. Going Greek. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, they, she was the uh, sister of Isis and the wife of Set. Mm -hmm. Again, if you go back to my uh, episode I did on historical gaming in Egypt, talked a little bit about Set there, um, where most people view him as being this evil, dark deity, when Every yet he also had a protective function. Everybody views chaos as evil, and that, just in general. That's uh, and it, because people, anything we don't understand, which is chaos, chaos we, no one understands chaos because it's chaos. It's chaotic, yes. It's chaotic, and what we don't understand is scary, therefore it's evil. That's just 
basic human nature. <laughs> yep. And uh, see, she was she had a function as being a protector of the dead, and this she does play a role in the Osiris myth, where after Set killed and dismembered Osiris, she helped Isis locate his remains and bring him back to life. Uh, she was also a protector of ch- women in childbirth as well as children, as she uh, did help raise the uh, Horus as an infant. And when I was trying to do a little research, I guess I saw her and Isis as having this yin and yang relationship, because whereas she was the protector of the dead, Isis was more the protector of the living. Mm-hmm. Um, Nephthys. Yes. Give your give your th in the wrong place. <laughs> she was associated with the night, whereas Isis was associated with the day. So they were they weren't really opposing, but more complementary. And I found this interesting. Apparently, festivals to her involved large amounts of beer. Um. So she's a patron deity for Wisconsin. I don't know. Well, and that's really <laughs> interesting because Isis was associated with making beer. So, <laughs> and but they were also confused, for, I guess, easily confused for each other um, in yeah. appearance. They apparently looked an awful lot alike. Um, so I guess in reliefs, they're kind of without certain telltale imagery. They can be often confused too. So yeah, and, and that makes sense. And as I said, the uh, I just remember reading that her festivals did involve large amounts of beer, and that. Um, she seemed to fit in more with the Planescape version of Olympus, because uh, Planescape, I've got one book from it. Um, I know there was a box set and various other manuals where the uh, Planescape was, okay, how to run a D&D campaign in the Outer Plains. And since this was second edition, that's where they started to change all of the, you know, a lot of the names because, as we mentioned before, this was post-Satanic Panic, mm-hmm. so TSR was starting to remove a lot of the references to, um, you know, demons and devils. Uh, like, for example, the Nine Hells became, I think, Bator or Bantor. <laughs> um, and then uh, Olympus was called Aborea. Uh, the, and I mentioned it when I did my episode on Glad's, Gladsheim, but they gave a new name for to that realm, and yeah, and then uh, I think the seven heavens became like Mount Celestia. So yeah, it's what are you gonna do? I mean, I I can understand kind of why they did it, but I've also heard other people think that okay, it's they wish they didn't because that showed they were giving in to outside pressure. Well, yeah, but they've got to make money and they're a company, so it's like I can't fault them for wanting to keep their business afloat. So it, it's like I, 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 a lot of people always say, well, so they sold out to this. And I'm like, yeah, but businesses in general have to be a business. And if being, especially with the whole satanic panic thing, if changing the name of something is all you have to do to satiate the especially the media at that yeah. time to shut them up so that your business doesn't die and you're going to keep things going, then that's not that big of a change. Change yeah. the name of it. And, and yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't, I mean, granted it doesn't do that much to really hurt the game. And the and players still keep, use first edition stuff with second edition. Well, so. And your players that know what the names were can keep using the names. It's just not in print. So yeah. But like I said, so that's about all I, I don't know, do you have anything to add about uh, Mount Olympus and how it was pictured in uh, first edition or maybe 
uh, just some of your thoughts on how you could use Mount Olympus in a campaign? I think in a campaign, it'd be fascinating from a DM standpoint, especially is um, especially using the uh, uh, Clash of the Titans motive with yeah. the with the wall. Well, because from a DM, you think about it, just being able to because it's basically what we do anyway is we just plunk stuff in, but being able to use the deities, so to speak. Yeah, and we do know from you know Greek mythology that the deities were active in the mortal world. Mm-hmm. I mean, like with uh, Theseus, not Theseus, Perseus. Yeah. You know, he received the sword and the the, the sandals. And that was, and that's actually a really good point. It's very active with the Greeks. They were the gods were very active in mortal lives if they picked one, especially if they picked one person. So, say from my perspective, if I was working with my party and um, uh, one of my players was perhaps either lacking in something, I could send Hermes down. And Hermes will gift, not with having to do a fight, for example, to win something like you normally do. You give like a, um, certain prizes or whatever, <laughs> certain loot after a fight. But I'd be like, okay, well, they really need something for what's going forward. Well, Hermes is going to come down, and for no reason whatsoever, other than they're going to hear this person is going to need it, is going to give a divine gift of this shield. Because it's Hermes, and he's a gift of man. That's what the gods did. It's historically accurate. The gods gifted stuff to man all the time. So it's actually a really good little, like, entryway into helping your players out when you need to. But yeah, but usually the gifts have to be returned after the quest is done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they don't get to keep it from quest to quest. (laughs) Yeah, and I could even see it's like... um... You know, it seemed that there's stories where a lot of times the gods acted against each mm-hmm. other, but they did it through, I could see them doing it through through mortals. Like if, you know, uh, the, like if the Zeus decides to send the party on some epic heroic quest, maybe Hera doesn't like it, and she's mad at Zeus for doing something. And, you know, she might act against the characters, not necessarily out of any sense of maliciousness towards them as people, but just that, okay, you're doing something for Zeus, and I'm mad at him right now, so... Yeah, screw collateral damage. She doesn't care. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, she is vengeful, but... So, yeah, and I I think one of the things I did like is how in Manual of the Plains they did keep that third layer vague, Mm -hmm. where it, you know, it implies that there was something there beforehand, but maybe the the gods might send the players down there to go do what you know for whatever reason they're going to send them down there to go do what they need to do. Um, and they also mention that between the elven part of Olympus and the Olympian part of Olympus, there's this wilderness area that's unclaimed by either side. And they mention this is where you can find creatures from Greek mythology. So that could always be an interesting place to adventure as well. And um, you know, they mentioned that Pegasi are there, so if you need to look for a Pegasus mount, there you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Dawn, I understand that you've done a lot of cosplay. Yes. And I know you've posted pictures before of, uh, you know, with like a Greek mythology cosplay yes. group. Um, so if people maybe wanted to see some of your Greek cosplay, where can they go? Um, I am on Facebook. I have a cosplay page. Just search up search up Amethyst Dawn. There's a couple, but if you type in Amethyst Dawn cosplay, that's Amethyst like the color, uh, Dawn, my name, and then cosplay, it'll bring you to my page. Um, 
for probably the next month or so, it's got my Dragon Con lineup as the banner yeah. image. <laughs> All eight of my costumes are in the banner image. <laughs> yeah, because there was this one that I saw where you were dressed as Hera, and there was a, what was the little girl that was... I, I had a little girl doing Iris. That was like three, four years ago, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you had this look on your face, like this surprised look with your hand in front of your mouth, and this little girl looked like she was trying to explain something to you. And you she were was telling, telling me the horrible thing Zeus was doing when yeah, I wasn't so, looking, yes. And, and just the look <laughs> on your face has just captured that. Perfectly. I think the caption we gave it was like, he was doing a what with a goat? <laughs> oh, doesn't, well, Loki's been known to do things with goats. Yeah, yeah, he has. But yeah, I'm doing Aphrodite this year, um, based off of the, um, is that Botticelli? Who did the painting of her with the seashell, the okay. conch coming out of the, of the it's bit her, her sea foam birth. Yeah. This is what my, my costume is based off of, so. And, uh. Are the Spartans going to be there this year? Uh, we're always behind the Spartans, always in the parade. So, yeah, we'll be um, in the parade behind the Spartans. Yeah, the video for the parade will be on DragonCon TV's um, Facebook page, usually yeah. the day or two after the parade. So Yeah, because I mentioned you, you're, you're saying that, yeah, the Spartan guys are funny. and They, they are. They're really nice. And... They're really nice guys. They really are. They're really great. So... And uh, I'd like to thank you for joining me, Dawn, and thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, have a good evening or morning or afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you are, and happy gaming. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio.